If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Genesis chapter 1. If this is your first time here in two or three weeks, you'll realize that we're in the middle of a series that we're starting on the first 11 chapters of of this book. And it's like I'm trying to find my pace. I'm winding up. And uh, so today, rather than cover just a couple verses, we're going to cover the whole of the chapter. Uh, It will make sense to you in a moment. Because what I want to do is lay out a path for us a path for us as God's people, how we navigate our way in this world, which has so many different explanations of why there is something and not nothing. It's a path that I think will help students in school, those in university. It's a path that will help us who maybe read various things about uh, different cosmologies as we watch things, um, uh, science programs or nature programs to um, filter that or work that through a grid. And I like to call this, in a sense, a mental operating system. Uh, Their core convictions, three of them that we're going to talk about, that I think will help us as parents, um, as grandparents, and I believe also as uh, children of God to navigate discussions about our world, navigate discussions about um, the God who made this world, and as they say, why there is something and not nothing. You'll find that these core convictions are rooted in uh, Genesis chapter 1 and through the rest of the Bible. And they won't initially answer any questions that we might have, like about starlight and time, or about the dinosaurs, or about the age of the universe. But they will give you a grid in which to pursue answers to those questions. They will give you a grid in which to answer issues of dinosaurs or geological table or the age of the earth. Um, Most importantly, they'll give you a path to understand why you are here on this particular earth. And so when you face discussions, and I'm sure you all have had, I'm sure you've all been in discussions. If you're in a life group, there's been all kinds of questions raised. If you've been thinking this through again for the first time, there's all questions raised about the heaven and earth. And it's so easy to get sidetracked by things that aren't contained in the Bible. We can be sidetracked by pastors. We can be sidetracked by philosophers. We can be sidetracked by scientists. And the issues that sidetrack us are not unimportant, but they have to find their grid through God's word that he has given to us. These have been convictions that have sustained the people of God throughout history. Back in the earliest times of um, men and women on this earth, foundational convictions that have helped them make sense of the world in which they lived. Psalm 146.5, for example, happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. Their hope was in a particular God, the God who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. Jeremiah 32, 17, Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you as they faced difficulties, as they faced invading armies, as they faced pestilence and plague, as they faced all manner of difficulties. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your power. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nehemiah 9.6, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heavens, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on them, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. And the host of heaven worships you. And on and on and on, 
you find the people of God resting in the conviction that God has made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. So we have three core convictions I want to just talk about this morning for a few moments. Um, and you'll see if you've got the notes, and I think they'll come up on the screen. I, the first one, for instance, would be God's conviction. This is my father's or God's world. What I want is to help us, if we are children of God, followers of God, sons and daughters of God, then we can say, this is my conviction. This is my father's word. If you're seeking and wondering about God, well, I would say that this is God's word to you. So it catches all of us. So the first thing is simply this conviction, which is probably the basic conviction of all of our thinking, but it's, this is my father's word. What we're looking at is the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is God's full and complete revelation to us of all we need to know. And it's not good enough for us to say, well, I want part of it, but not all of it. It's all or nothing. You can't pick and choose what it is you'll believe from the Bible, what it is you'll submit to the Bible, and what it is you'll throw away. You become a Marcionite. You become one who says, well, I like all of these things, and so I'm going to pick these out, and I'm going to put them in this place, but I don't like these things, and so they won't guide my life. No, it's all or nothing when it comes to the Word of God. When we're learning about Revelation a little while ago, we read from Revelation 22:18 at the summary of the end of that book, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away the words that are in this book, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. You have to take it all. You can't pick and choose. And so as we come to the word of God, it proves itself to be perfect. It proves itself to be trustworthy. It proves itself to be stable and unchanging. It proves itself to be an eternal word. And there are so many ways in which the word of God proves itself and is worked out in your life and experienced as trustworthy. And those of you who have begun to embrace this and submit yourself to the word of God, you find that the word of God never fails. You find that the word of God can be trusted. And never, ever will the word of God be thwarted by another word, whether a word of an angel, a word of a demon, or a word of a man or a woman. Scripture is an absolute authority. It always speaks with absolute authority. It is, true when it, it is as true when it talks about the future as when it talks about the past. And although it's not a textbook on science, whenever it intersects with scientific data, it speaks with the same authority as it does when it deals with moral matters. This has to be a core conviction of ours as we come to study the Bible, and in particularly Genesis chapter 1. Do I believe that Scripture always speaks with absolute authority? You have to settle that. No matter how old you are, no matter where you come from, you have to settle that question. Do I believe that Scripture speaks with absolute authority? To stand on that conviction will lead to life and understanding. To waver from that conviction will lead to spiritual disaster. And so as it relates to Genesis chapter 1, Will I accept the authority of Scripture as it describes the beginnings of the heavens and the earth as God describes it to us? Do I understand it to be a historical description of how this world came into existence? I think any one of us here would clearly know and understand 
that no human being was here when the world began. No human being was here when the universe began. No one witnessed the birth of the heavens and the earth. So every description of that, every cosmology that you will read or find in this world requires faith. It requires faith. It requires faith in a scientist. It requires faith in a philosopher. It requires faith in a theory, but we don't know because nobody was there. So we as Christians also then have God's description of how the world came into being. By faith, we understand that the universe, and you finished that. By faith, we understand the universe came into being with a big bang. By faith, we understand that the universe has evolved from nothing into something. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. You finished that sentence in your mind. But the biblical writers, without exception, believed what Moses wrote that God gave him about the beginning of the universe and the earth in which we live. You can go to Isaiah, John, Jesus, uh, the kings, um, uh, the psalmist uh, to Peter, and again and again and again, they will affirm their conviction that the word of God given in Genesis 1 is the very word of God. Acts 14, 15, the living God, they profess, who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Acts 17, 24, as God is speaking to the Greeks on, or Paul is speaking to the Greeks on Mars Hill, he begins by saying this, the God who made the world and everything in it Jeremiah 10, 12, he made the earth by his power. Isaiah, do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of heaven and earth. First Chronicles 16, 26, for all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord God made the heavens. Jeremiah 32, 17, oh Lord God, you yourself have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Hebrews 1.10, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Nehemiah 9.6, you alone, or Yahweh, you created the heavens, the highest heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them. How did they know that? Because they believed Genesis 1, what Moses had written and how God had described the beginning of this world. Jesus believed in it when he was talking about divorce to the Pharisees who came to him and said to him, why is it that Moses allowed people to be divorced? It's fascinating where Jesus goes to find the answer to that question or give them the answer to that question. He says, he who created the male and female from the beginning. From the beginning, it was not so. Jesus believed in the beginning of the world. Jesus believed that in the beginning of the world, God created male and female. In Mark chapter 3, 19, when he's talking, or 13 verse 19, when he's talking about the tribulation that would fall on Jerusalem, Part of it is what he says. He's such has not been from the beginning of this world until now. From the beginning of creation that God created until now. Jesus believed that there had been no tribulation that had ever fallen on this earth that would fall on Jerusalem from the beginning of the world when God created until that time. He believed in the account that God had given to Moses. So that's the first core conviction. Do I believe that this is my Father's word. Never, ever doubt the truthfulness of God's word. Always submit your mind and your thinking to the word of God. Maintain a humility before the word of God, which declares, though, thy word is truth. That's the first core conviction 
that we need to conclude about as we make our way through Genesis 1 and, in fact, the whole Bible. The second core conviction, this is my father's world. This is my father's world. The focus in Genesis chapter 1 is unmistakable. In the beginning, God. It assumes his existence. God tells us that he existed before there was anything. We've looked at that and we've thought about that. And then Genesis chapter 1 describes his activity in creating and then forming and filling the earth. The chapter is dominated by God. 35 times Elohim or God is referenced in Genesis chapter 1. There is no mistake about whose world this is. We read he created it. We read again and again, he said, we, he saw, he separated, he called, he blessed. Everywhere you read in Genesis chapter one, it tells us that this world exists because God exists and brought it into existence. Genesis chapter one tells us how in an extraordinary way, God took what was initially uninhabitable and made it a habitable existence. God dominates chapter one of Genesis. And there can be no other conclusion when you read Genesis 1 that this is my father's world. No other conclusion. How different that is from every other cosmology that you will study or come across or read about. Few things that you need to be thinking about as you work this through from certainly Genesis chapter 1. God is powerful. He spoke, and six times it says, and it was so. That is power. The power of his word. He spoke, and it was so. There is no long period of time between his command and his result. God said, and it was so. It came out just as God had wanted it to be. The universe was created by the power of his word, shaped by his thought and his will. Such power, such intimacy, such immediacy in his knowledge as he wills things into existence speaks of this almost experiential uh, connection with what he would make. Think about this in just one tiny aspect of our world in the creation of a, uh, of a person inside of the womb of its mother. For you formed my inward parts, says the psalmist. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And the writer of Ecclesiastes marvels and he asks us to join with him. He says, do you not marvel at how bones develop in the womb of a woman with child? The power of God. Each of the trillions of cells in our bodies each with a nuclei containing a coded database that is larger than all 30 volumes of the Encyclopedia Britannica. He spoke and it was so. And he does it with such ease, a mere word. And there's a universe, a mere word. 
and there's the heavens and the earth. He directs. You can read this through Genesis chapter 1. He created vegetation and fruit trees, seed-bearing plants, the plants that have seed on the outside, the plants that have seed in their fruit. He set boundaries for what he created by simply saying they all would reproduce according to their kind. They didn't cross-mix. They were created according to their kind, and they continue to reproduce according to their time, distinguished from everything else that he also made. Notice his power. He placed the sun and the moon and the stars in the expanse above the earth. He fills the earth. He, he fills the seas. He fills the heavens. He fills the land. He names what he makes. He names the day and the night and the heavens and the earth and the seas. Each as he creates them, he gives them a name, demonstrating his power and his authority and his knowledge over them. And he brings order to all that he has made. As originally on the first day, it says the earth was without form and void. It was just this seething mass of, of it seems like waters and, and matter that was hovered over and contained by the Spirit of God. And then he brings order to that, as we'll see in Genesis chapter 1. This is my father's world. This is your father's world. It doesn't belong to anyone else. It didn't come from anyone else. It exists because God spoke it into existence. And today he still has power over this world. He has power over the hail and over the rain and over the lightning. He has power over the plants and the animals. You, you, you read this, not only does he cause them naturally to grow, but he can command a donkey to speak. He can command ravens to feed a hungry man in a desert. He can command a whale to swallow a disobedient servant. He can command a plant to grow up and provide shade. He can command a worm to eat the plant to take away that shade. He has power over the thoughts and intentions of humankind. He can direct the, the plans of a heart. He can direct the thoughts in our mind. What is first revealed to us in Genesis chapter 1 is born out again and again and again. Not only in scripture, but in our experience of walking in this world. Creation then and now was made by God. It depends upon God. It is distinct from God. And God declares at the end, it is very good. Loved ones, this is my father's world. Never doubt it. Never forget it. This is your Father's world. Keep your eyes fixed on God the Creator. No matter what you hear, no matter what you read, this is your Father's world. He made it. That is the grid through which our second conviction is born out. The third conviction. And I couldn't figure out another word that started with W. W. This is my father's focus. Maybe at the end of it, somebody can suggest to me a word. This is my father's focus. The world and all that is in it has been made intentionally and purposefully. It has been created by God. And at the center of this world is humanity. Humanity. You matter. Your existence is purposeful and intentional. You matter. 
You have been intentionally and purposely created to live and thrive on this world that God has created for you. Listen to one of the alternatives, Carl Sagan. We live on a hunk of rock and metal that circles a humdrum star that is one of 400 billion other stars that make up the Milky Way galaxy, which is one of billions of other galaxies which make up the universe, which may be one of a very large number, perhaps an infinite number of other universes. That is a perspective on human life and our culture that is well worth pondering. Our planet is a lonely speck in a great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us. It's just another cosmology, another way of looking at the world in which we live. That's not the biblical view of the world. As you read this text, there is a strangely and startling selective slant in the reporting of creation. You understand that that God hasn't described how everything came to being. It's a very selective description of who made the world and why he made the world. There's a laser focus that you get from Genesis chapter one. And the laser focus moves very quickly from he created the heavens and the earth to the earth was formless and without void to then the filling and the forming and the shaping of the earth at which at the center of that is man and woman created the image of God. It's a completely helpful perspective on wrestling through our place in this world. I mapped this out. You can map it out as well in your own mind. In Genesis chapter one, we have described how God first formed the formless world in days one to three, and then how God filled the voidness that was in the initial creation in days four to six. In day one, he formed day and night. In day two, he separates the waters of that mass and uh, he, with a kind of horizontal area extending through the very heart of the mass of the waters that were the initial creation of the world into two layers, one above and the other below. He created these two upper layers and he called it heaven. On day three, we see God's focus on the waters underneath that expanse, underneath the heaven, and he separated those waters to create dry land and seas. And at the end of that day, as sort of the initial uh, part, he then created vegetation, fruit trees. You see how orderly God is here. You see the direction of creation, right? You, you see as he starts with the universe and then he moves to a, an earth that is formless and void and then how he moves to begin to separate that and, and, and create form where there was no form. And that takes place in the first three days. The chaos is disappearing. And the full First, hints of the fullness are in the creation of seed-bearing vegetation and fruit trees. And then on day four, he fills the expanse that he has made. He says, beginning with the heavens. Notice carefully the intention and the design, what he fills the expanse with and why. And he separates the day from night. And he, he does that with a sun and, and a moon. And why? Well, One, to separate day and night, to give rhythms to the world in which we live. Do you think about that? Do you you think of the purpose of creation in making a place that we can habit or inhabit? And he says, "I, I, I created the sun and the moon to give as signs for seasons and days of the year. For who? For mankind, for humankind. He he placed the sun and the moon and the stars in space for us. 
so that we could mark out seasons. He tilted the world just perfectly so as it rotated around the sun and as the moon rotated around the earth, that there was a habitable place that we could live that had built-in clocks for calendars of our lives. These things teach us about the weather. They help us in navigation. They're not just a haphazard, there they were. There is intentionality and purpose behind the sun and the moon and the stars. They're there to rule the day and the night. And notice, wouldn't all of us, many of us, want to know more about the stars? Isn't the universe something that's just massively attractive? It's huge, it's fast, it's colorful, it's dangerous, it's dark, it's white, it's expanding. Three words, and the stars. In other words, God is saying that's not the focus in creation. doesn't mean I didn't create it, but that's not the focus. We sang that song. He named all the stars. That's in Isaiah. He knows all the stars by name. But the focus is not the universe out there. The focus is the world in which we inhabit. And he placed them to give light. Where? On the earth. Do you notice that? The, the earth continues to be the focus. Dry land. Light to give light on the earth. And then day five, he fills the seas and the skies. Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Not just one or two. It's filled them. And let the birds fly across the expanse of the heavens according to their kinds. Again, not intermixing, but clear, specific kinds created of fish and birds and animals. And it said, and God blessed them. He endues them with a power of success and prosperity and longevity. Why? Why did God fill the oceans? Why does God send birds in the sky? We'll jump ahead for a moment. Verse 28. So that mankind could subdue and have dominion over them. God filled the seas and he filled the skies to give us something to do. Purpose, meaning, a role in this world that God had made. Day six, he fills the earth. Let the earth bring forth living things after their kinds, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Why? for mankind, for humankind, to have dominion over the things that God has made. And then the final piece says this only of men and women. Let us make man in our image and likeness. Why? To reflect the image of God and to represent God here on earth. In his own image, he created them. Male and female, he created them. In what? He blessed them. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the heavens? No, fill the earth. The wonder of relationship that God has given us as men and women to be in relationship with one another and, and from that, the, 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 the offspring that we bear that will fill the earth in which God has made. And what are we to do? Submill and sub, Subdue it and have dominion over what? The fish and the birds and every living thing that moves on the earth. God has made it all for us who image him to subdue and have dominion over the earth. 
and to enjoy it. He says, I have given you every plant leading, yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree in it for its fruit. You shall have them to eat. Do you ever think that through? Do we take it for granted? Do we, do we just stuff our, our fridges and our freezers with stuff that we buy? Or do we think, no, God, you have, you have allowed that farmer to produce this. You have allowed that to grow so that I might have something to eat. Do you see it? Do you see it? Do you see what God wants us to know as he gives us the account of why there is something and not nothing? Do you see how God describes a place of purpose and intention? Do you see how he first creates waters out of which he will form and create the earth and then how he divides the earth out of which he will form and create a dry land so that we have some place to live on? Do you see how he puts the moon and the, and the sun in, 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 in the heavens so that they might help us um, uh, have, uh, keep time and to mark seasons and to guide and direct our paths? This is a foundational creational conviction. It speaks of the intentionality and the purpose behind what God has made. All he has made is to put us in the center of that, to reflect him. We're made in his image. And to represent him and to serve him and to enjoy his bountiful provision. Genesis 1 focuses, and you won't find this in any other cosmology. Genesis 1 focuses on those aspects of creation which are most directly relevant to you and I as men and women and their relationship to us. The earth is God's gift to humankind. As one wrote, when he speaks of vegetation and fruit trees, he speaks more like a chef than a botanist. When he speaks of the sun and moon and the focus of their role as, as clocks and lights, and of the animals as how they relate to us and we to them. Uh, another individual I wrote said this, so the Genesis account of creation is remarkably human-centered. Even before we get to the creation of humanity, God separated the land from the sea to give us somewhere to live. He created plants to give us something to eat. The sun and the moon light to light the planet and help us as clocks and calendars. Even the animals can be considered only in relation to us. It puts an astonishing thought in our minds. Could he have created all of this with us in view? Are we important in God's plans? Were we in mind when God created this world in which we live? I was thinking about this in context of Matthew chapter 6. Be anxious for nothing because God knows what you need. Jesus goes on to say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What things? Clothing, food, a roof over our head. Loved ones, is not some of our anxiety and our worry come from thinking that God doesn't much care about me or that God has forgotten about me or that God is not able to provide for me or God hasn't provided for me? 
Do some of our poor spiritual states come from being overly concerned about finding our way in this world rather than knowing that God will make a way for us in this world because it is his world given to us and that nothing is too difficult for him? Loved ones, reorient your thinking to realize that God made this earth for you and I to provide for us, to sustain us, to give us something to do, to reflect him in this world. Genesis 1 is deliberately earth-centered to make a point about the privileged place of humanity and God's plans for his creation. Psalmist writes, the heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of men. It's amazing. He gets it. He understood Psalm 1. Without a right understanding of our origin, we have no way to understand anything about our spiritual existence. We cannot know our purpose. We cannot be certain of our destiny. After all, if God is not the creator, maybe he's not the redeemer. If we can't believe the opening chapters of scripture, how can we be certain of anything else that is recorded in the word of God? So loved ones, Never entertain the lie that says you don't matter, that says you have no meaning or purpose. That is absolutely contradicted by Genesis chapter one. So then as you go to school this week, as you go to work this week, as you engage in conversations about the existence of the world and why there is something and not nothing, let these three core convictions Operate in the background of your thinking. This is my father's word. He told me how this world came into a being. I will not waver from confidence and submission to God's word. This is my father's world. He made it, all of it, by his power and by his might. And this is my father's focus. I have a place in this world that he has made for me to inhabit. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. 
The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its own kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures that let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Father, thank you. Thank you for the understanding you have given to us of why there is something and not nothing. Thank you, Father, for reminding us of your incredible grace and mercy in making such an amazing place for us to inhabit and giving it all for us that we might have something to eat and that we might have something to do. And in that eating and in that doing, we might reflect you and represent you. 
Oh, Father, we know we haven't done that well. We know that we have raped this world. We know that we have extorted this world. We know that our greed has destroyed this world. But that is our sin. That was not your intent. Father, help us to slowly regain an understanding of why we are here, what you have called us to be and to do. Father, for those who here this morning maybe are thinking, I have no reason to be, I have no reason to live, may the words of Genesis 1 wake them up. May the words of Genesis 1 speak loudly to them. You have meaning. You have purpose. I made you to live on this earth. Live well. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.